This morning's Old Testament reading is from the 31st chapter, the book of Jeremiah, beginning at verse 7 and continuing through verse 9. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is written there. For thus saith the Lord, sing with gladness for Jacob and shout among the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise, and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the the north country and gather them from the ends of the earth, among them the blind and the lame, the woman with child and the one who labors with child together. A great throng shall return there. They shall come with weeping and with supplications. I will lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our New Testament reading this morning is from the Gospel according to Mark in the 10th chapter, beginning at verse 46 and continuing to verse 52 again. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. They came to Jericho, Jesus and company, as he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet. But he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. This morning's gospel account of the healing of a blind man in Jericho has been interpreted by many folks in many ways over the centuries. In fact, I recently heard a biblical scholar talk about just this encounter. This morning, though, we're going to have a look at this event through a slightly different lens. I would like us to focus our attention on what happens after this miraculous gift of sight is returned to Bartimaeus. It seems that this would be the climax of the story, and from a narrative perspective, indeed, it is. However, from a theological perspective, this is just where I think things start to get interesting. Bartimaeus, in his blindness, calls out to Jesus. Even though he doesn't see the man, he has insight into who he is. When his sight is miraculously restored, he at last 
beholds Jesus. But really, this is just the start of the story of Bartimaeus. For many had also seen Jesus in that place and on that day. While much of Jesus' ministry takes place amidst the small towns and the villages scattered throughout the region of Galilee, here we find him with his disciples in a sizable settlement. The city of Jericho was an important economic hub in the region. It was strategically located at the confluence of trade routes north, south, and east, west, which helped make it a bustling commercial center. As a result, it isn't hard to imagine that Jericho was a a busy and even a crowded place. So yes, many would have been afforded the opportunity to encounter Jesus in that place on that day, but we hear of only one by name. He is the one who gains eyesight to go along with insight And he is the only one we are told of who responds to Jesus out of all of the people in that entire city. When he's first made aware of Jesus' presence in the area, he calls to him, he seeks him out. And then after he sets his restored eyes on Jesus, then he does something that is truly remarkable. And the text handles this whole scenario Rather, matter-of-factly, it doesn't make a big deal out of it, but I will because I think it highlights a very important difference in the way humanity chooses to respond to God. One of the ways I was reminded of this recently took place eight days ago. (coughs) There was a wedding last weekend across the street here, It took place in the shell of Coventry Parish. We had been aware of it for quite some time in advance. In fact, several months back, our session had been asked for and granted permission for the use of our parking lot and our restrooms so that those attending wouldn't have to park or rest along the side of the roads. I had planned to be away last Saturday, headed to the small church conference in the Carolina Hills. And as it turned out, I was away throughout last Saturday, but not headed to the conference, as life had intervened in a conspiracy of ways and means. But when I did finally get home to the manse that night, it was a bit after sundown. The festivities had long since concluded, and the cleanup crew was loading up a rental trailer with the last of the set pieces that had been brought in for the occasion, Uh, some of which included seating for the guests, which was in the form of wooden pews. I didn't even know you could rent wooden pews. Apparently, that's a thing. The folks who were coordinating the whole event went to great lengths, apparently, to make the ruins look churchy once again for the occasion. Now, I was struck with a, with a bit of uneasiness. I, I, had, I often get the same twinge when I 
see folks visiting. They'll come and park by the ruins and because they're essentially in the backyard, oftentimes I'll hear them or see them. And quite often I will go out and attempt to speak with them about what they're looking at and maybe what they're looking for. And I found that they, they travel here, some from uh, nearby and some from uh, quite a distance, a couple hours or more, to gaze upon the beaten up, beaten down structure that once served as a house of worship for a vital congregation here in the colonies. It now stands as a mute metaphor for the state of the church in this and many other industrialized nations. It has been rendered silent, cast off as a relic to the dustbin of history. Nowadays, the Coventry Parish Church ruins are a roadside attraction for those who want to see an example of colonial architecture and to gawk at some old tombstones in the churchyard. And this is not a unique situation to Rehoboth. I had the opportunity a couple of decades ago to visit the namesake of this very sacred structure across the way, Coventry Cathedral in the British city of the same name also stands today as a ruin. During the Blitz, the Luftwaffe bombed many civilian targets, and one of them happened to be the church in the heart of Coventry. All that remains today are the remnants of the walls. The decision was made there to leave that site as a ruin, as an enduring testimony to the ravages of war. Immediately next door was constructed a new church. Now, providentially, when I was there, we were visiting over a weekend, staying on Saturday night, and so our little group had the opportunity to attend worship in the new spacious sanctuary of Coventry Cathedral. Now, inside, there is seating for several hundred, I would say, but as our group of a dozen or so left the communion rail, headed back to our seats, I noticed there were virtually no other worshipers in attendance that day, just our group of tourists and a few locals. Several others, groups of tourists, I supposed, were in the far recesses of the building, but there were only a handful there participating in worship, which lends credence to the notion that roughly in the West, people have lost interest in the church, and more importantly, we have lost interest in the West, in the head of the church. All of which brings me once again back to Bartimaeus, for he had quite positively not lost his interest in Christ. Our text tells us that he received his sight, but that's not where the story ends. Rather, we get an additional crucial detail about the encounter. The author of Mark's gospel lets us know in the final sentence of the story that Bartimaeus became a follower of Jesus. And that 
brings me to us. We who today bear his name and claim to be followers of Christ. Did you come here this morning out of habit or to see some friends or to have some good food? And yes, there is some good food to be had after we finish. Or for any number of other reasons. Or did you come here today expecting an encounter with the living God Most High? You don't have to answer out loud, but I would like you to take a moment to think about your answer. Bartimaeus experienced the Lord, and Bartimaeus was changed by his encounter. Not only was his sight restored, but the course of his life was changed. Even as Jesus pronounced a benediction upon him, saying, Go! Your faith has made you well. Bartimaeus did not go. Instead, he stuck right there, becoming a follower of Jesus. I think such grand shifts in the patterns of life after an encounter with Jesus may well be why, consciously or subconsciously, people tend to reduce their chances of such an encounter by staying away from churches that conduct worship services that are not simply a shell or a ruin or a historic tourist destination. The ruins of Coventry Parish are, even if you believe they're haunted, relatively safe, at least in comparison to this older building that we are gathered in this morning, a place where a life-altering encounter with a living God remains a very real possibility. Not that such an encounter must occur and happens only in such places, witness Paul on the Damascus Road, but the expectation is greater in a place of worship And when such an encounter does take place, well, a person might well be forever changed. Such was the case with Paul and with Bartimaeus. Paul was blinded during his encounter with the risen Christ. Bartimaeus had his sight restored during his encounter with the living Jesus. But both chose that day to become followers of the Messiah. They chose to submit themselves in obedience as a show of their faith, their trust, and their gratitude. So I come to the pivotal question in all of this for us, and that is, how much are we willing to submit after we have had an encounter with the Holy One? Are we like the folks who visit the remains of the old Coventry Parish, content to be tourists of the spiritual, to view the church and the God whom it is built to worship from afar? Do we seek to keep enough distance from the head of the church that we can continue to live in our own comfort zone without having to submit ourselves further to the demands of an admittedly jealous God. I can remember that when I first seriously engaged with the scriptures, it was in a 33-session-long Bible study, a survey 
of some of the Old and New Testament. Again and again, as I read and reflected on the words, some for the very first time, I found myself thinking, if this is true, and, and I believe that it is true, but if this is true, then doesn't it demand a response on the part of those who believe it? That realization was both awesome and awful at the same time, for it forced me to submit to the expressed will of God in ways that I would frankly have preferred not to. And ultimately, it changed the entire course of life for me and for my family. And yet, still, I find myself here today asking this question. Has it been enough? Have I sufficiently realigned my words and deeds to be in submission to the will of God? Or am I still clinging too tightly to my own will and desires? That, that is the really scary part of an encounter with God and the reason I think most would just as soon avoid it. For better or for worse, Paul lost his life as a Pharisee and Bartimaeus lost his life as a beggar. But that was just the start of their journeys as disciples or apostles, as servants of the true God. What, if anything, have we lost? What, if anything, is God calling us to give up to become a more faithful servant? As you and I reflect on that question this week, May we also consider all that has already been done for us, though we have by no means deserved any of it. But for that, we can truly say, thanks be to God and amen.